So this is a very exciting time in the life of our church family as we're electing some additional and new elders to our current Kirk session. And this morning what I want to do is, in the next five minutes or so, is talk you through the process of how we're going to do that as a congregation. I know that some of you have been saying things like, who will I know how to vote for and all of those things. So hopefully this will put your mind at ease and you can rest assured that everything is going to be okay. Okay, so let me run you through the, the process. The first thing that will happen is that if you are a voting member of the church, you'll be notified about that. And the way you'll be notified is that you'll be given an envelope with your name on it. And some of you will have already got those this morning. And in that envelope is a little flyer about how the process of eldership works and also the list of all the other voting members. Um, so, so if you got that this morning, then you are a voting member of the church. There's also a list of names on the table out in the foyer there. So if you think that you are a voting member and you didn't receive an envelope with these details, if you just check that list, and if your name is on there, you should have got that. And if your name isn't on there, then we, we, we don't think that you're a voting member of the church. And if you think you are, then please just contact myself or Dennis and we'll check against the records. Now, who is a voting member of the church? This is the very exciting part of the morning. I am now going to read again from the code of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. And the words are going to be on the screen. And if you can put it on, I actually don't have it in front of me, so I'm actually going to be reading from the, the screen at the back. Here we go. Are you ready? Voting members in the church are communicants on the role of the congregation who are listed, whether by name or number, as having contributed to the stipend or weekly free will offering of the congregation in the last financial year. In addition to those so listed, the following shall also be qualified if themselves communicants on the roll. A wife shall be qualified on the husband's contribution and vice versa where both are communicants. This shall also apply uh, should the contributor himself or herself not be a communicant. If neither husband nor wife in such circumstances is a communicant, then their contribution shall qualify the eldest child residing in the family who is on the communicant's role. Should a, should a contributor who is not a communicant be a member of a family residing together, then his contribution shall qualify the eldest member residing in the family who is on the communicant's role clear as mud, but it needs to be read out. So let me try and simplify it. If you're a communicant member of the church who's contributed to the finances of the church in the last financial year, then you are qualified to vote. If you're new to the church, so maybe you weren't here in the last financial year, if you're new to the church family, which some of you are, and you've contributed in the current financial year to the offering, to the free will offering or to the finances of the church, then you're qualified to vote. So basically, communicant member and contributing. Communicant and contributing. And they are the two qualifications to be a voting member. Are you with me so far? Okay, hopefully that is the most complicated part of the morning. Okay, so, you, so basically the first step is that voting members will be notified. So you'll, you'll, you should know if you're a voting member and you now have the right to vote. Okay, the next thing that happens then is that voting members of the church make nominations. Now this is not a vote. On this piece of paper, at the very bottom, you have what is called a nomination slip. And you are to write your name here, print it out, and sign it. And then on the back, you can nominate up to eight people to be considered for eldership. 
So what you need to do is you need to go through the list of voting members. These are all people who can be elders. And you need to prayerfully consider them in light of the characteristics of elders. And if there's someone on that list, you think, do you know what? I think they would be good as an elder. Then write their name down as one of your nominations. Okay? Are you with me? So write your, you can write up to eight nominations. You don't need to nominate anybody if you don't want to. Maybe you're, you're sitting here thinking, do you know what? I can't think of anybody that I would want to nominate. You don't need to. Maybe you're sitting here and you think, no, I can only think of one or two people that I would like to nominate. That's okay. Just put one or two people down. And then on the dates of the 12th, the 19th and the 26th of September, there's going to be a ballot box at the, at the back of the church. And so take your nomination slip during those weeks and put it in the ballot box. Now, what's going to happen then is the next stage. So after you as a congregation have nominated people, we might, there might be a list of maybe 20 people. There might only be a list of three, who knows? <laughs> but, but there's going to be this list of people who you as a congregation have nominated. And so then we move to the next stage of the process. And that is that those 20 people or 10 people or however many people, they are prayerfully considered by the session. So the Kirk session will sit down and we will go through every nominated person one by one and we'll pray about them and we'll look at the characteristics of eldership according to the Bible. And we as a Kirk session will discern who should go forward for the vote. And so whenever we've done that, we can put forward up to eight people. And the next step then is that those eight people are presented to you as the church family. So their, their names will be presented. Uh, they'll be presented on the 17th and the 24th of October. And as well as presenting their names, we will also show you a photograph of the people just so that you know who they are, because we have had some new people coming along to Ravenhill in the past three years, and some of them may be nominated for eldership. And so those dates, are the, the 17th and the 24th, you will then know who is up for election, okay? So the candidates will be presented. Are you with me so far, or is this, comp is, are you with me so far? Okay, okay, so 17th, 24th, a list of up to eight people will be presented to you. Now, maybe some of you, Whenever you see the eight people presented, maybe some of you will have some questions. Maybe you have some objections. Maybe whenever you see one or two of the people, you think, I don't think they should be elders, and I have biblical reasons why. If that is the case, then you need to write a letter objecting to, to those people, and you give that to Dennis Marriott. Hopefully, we won't have that problem. Um, but just to know you do have the right as a voting member, if you have any objections to any of the eight people presented or up to eight people, you can object. And we as a Kirk session will consider those objections and decide whether or not we're going to sustain them. Okay, once we get past that stage, then finally we're on to the congregational vote. So th this is going to be on the morning of the 31st of October. It'll be after the morning service. And each of the people who have been on the screen the past couple of weeks, each of them will be voted on. And they're not competing against each other, okay? And what you then as voting members have to do is say, yes, we're happy for them to be an elder, or no, we are not. Uh, and you vote on them as an individual basis. So let's say I was up for nomination. You get a little slip with my name, and it's, yes, I'm happy for Marty to be an elder, or no, I don't want him to be an elder. And each of you will fill in the voting forms. They'll be counted, and then if a person gets two-thirds of people saying yes, then they will be elected into eldership but they must get two-thirds of the vote, okay? So then at that point, it's over for us as a congregation, but it's not quite over 
because the next stage then is that presbytery will then assess those who we as a congregation have voted for. So whoever we put forward, presbytery will then assess them, they will interview them, they will ask them some questions so that presbytery are happy for them to be elders. And then following that, the elders elect will be trained and receive some training. And then finally, having had a final assessment with presbytery, God willing and hopefully, on, there will be an ordination service on Sunday the 7th of February. Are you with me? Okay. Okay. If you're a voting member, the process is outlined here in less than 150 words. So hopefully you can follow that along if that's been unclear this morning. But I have to do that as part of the process. But what I'm saying to you really is do not panic. Okay? Don't worry. All you need to do right now is prayerfully consider who you think should be, should be um, considered for eldership. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to do just now. Write their names down, put it in the ballot box, and then the, the, the Kirk session will take it from there. And then eventually names will be presented and then you will have a vote. Everybody, I don't know if happy is the word, but everybody clear enough? Yeah? <laughs> okay, good. Um, well, thankfully, I won't be talking through that next week. If you have any questions, let me know. If anything wasn't clear and you need clarity on it, let me know. But as a congregation, your big job right now is to, to take this little booklet that you got this morning, Choosing New Elders. It's to look at the qualifications for elders. It's to look at the role of an elder. And it's to prayerfully consider who you think should be considered for eldership in our congregation. This is a, a big deal, by the way. This is really, really important. So can I ask you to, to do prayerfully consider it? Don't just put someone's name down because you know them. Prayerfully consider it in light of the biblical qualifications. I'm going to hand back to John now, who's going to read from God's word and then talk a little bit more about eldership from a different angle. Thanks, Marty. I'm not entirely sure how to follow that, um, but we'll give it our best go. Um, I have a friend who uh, used to work in the complaints department of the BBC, and he hated the job from the day he started until the day he left. And some of the complaints were fair enough. You know, sometimes something happened on TV, somebody said something inappropriate in the middle of the day, and people would complain, and that would seem to be fair enough. He also had a group of regular complainers, people who liked to just ring in maybe weekly just to have a wee moan and have a wee complain. He didn't like them too much. But his least favorite, and this actually happened quite often, was when people rang up to complain about things that actually happened on a completely different channel that had absolutely nothing to do with him. He would be sitting watching TV on a Saturday night, maybe ITV or Channel 4 or some other, and something would happen and I would turn around and I'd just see him with his head in his hands and thinking, I am going to hear about this on Monday morning. And he said that when he dealt with those calls, he had to be polite, he had to be courteous, but inwardly he was screaming, what has this got to do with me? What's this got to do with me? And maybe you're here this morning and you've been coming along or listening online for the last few weeks and you've, you've maybe thought, well, actually, what, what does this have to do with me? 
because maybe you never want to be an elder. So all this stuff about what an elder is and about what the qualifications are, well, hopefully it's going to help you decide who you're going to nominate. It's going to be useful, but maybe it doesn't make a huge difference to your life. And maybe you're thinking, well, what's this got to do with me? Or perhaps worse than that, perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a voting member. You're not a voting member of this congregation, and so you've no say in the election. And you might be thinking to yourself, I really hope they're going to stop talking about this eldership stuff soon because this has absolutely nothing to do with me. Well, I have two pieces of good news for you this morning if you fall into any of those categories. Firstly, this is the last sermon you're going to hear on the eldership for a while, so maybe that's good news for you. But the second piece of good news is that this sermon is for you. It's for absolutely everybody here this morning, whether you're an elder, whether you're hoping to be an elder, whether you're going to vote for the elders, or whether none of those things are true for you. This is for you. Because today we're not thinking about what an elder is or what an elder does or what sort of person can become an elder, but we're thinking about the congregation's role alongside their elders, because the Bible is actually quite clear about the role the congregation has to play, and all of us do have a role to play. Um, and there are certain ways that we are to treat our elders and to view our elders. So to help us do that, we are going to uh, read from God's Word. Um, if you have a, a pew Bible, and um, we're going to start on page 1098, um, it's Acts chapter 6. And um, we're just going to have two short readings this morning, but the first one is Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 7. And as I say, it's on page 1098. So this is God's Word. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of, of, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And if you would then turn over to page 1188, it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, page 1188. 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to begin reading at verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you, Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's join in prayer together. Let's pray. 
Lord, we come before you knowing and trusting that you speak to us through your word. And so as we consider what it has to say to us today about our role alongside our elders, Lord, we pray that you would indeed speak to us, that you would show us what you have to say through it, that you would give us open ears and open hearts, and that we would be pointed to Christ ultimately in his name. Amen. Marty has already said this is an exciting time for Ravenhill Presbyterian Church. It's a time of some change. And the fact that we're having an elders election, I suppose, is a natural part of that. So what are the responsibilities of the congregation when it comes to elders? Well, I realize that our time is a little bit shorter this morning because we've looked at the process and obviously it was important. So there are five things the Bible teaches us about the congregation's responsibilities towards elders. But don't worry, um, that's not, it's not gonna be as long as that sounds. We're gonna look at each one reasonably briefly. And the first thing the congregation is to do is that they are to pick the elders. Now, this might seem like a very obvious point, but it's an important biblical one. New elders aren't meant to just be picked by the existing elders or by the presbytery or by some small group of people, but the whole congregation has a role to play in that. And we see this in, in the Bible in Acts 6. Um, at the start of that chapter that we, that we read a few verses of together, we see that the number of believers is increasing massively. This is the early church, and the 12 apostles are trying to lead that. They are the elders. They're trying to give guidance to the people to pray and to preach. But it seems like there simply weren't enough leaders or elders. And some of the congregation, a particular group of widows actually, well, they were being overlooked when food was being distributed. And this is what we read that happened. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And as we read on, when this happens, they choose seven as it happens and the apostles lay their hands on them and bless them. And then the number of disciples continues to grow rapidly. But do you notice in there, I've highlighted it, who picked the seven new elders? It was all the disciples. It wasn't the apostles. It was the whole church. And that is why you as a congregation will forward nominations. And then after the elders have considered them and have come up with a short list of people, that's why we have the congregational meeting and you vote. You have the final say on whether someone will become an elder or not. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at what the, the Bible says an elder is, and we've looked at what the Bible says are the personal and the spiritual qualities of an elder. But we're not just guided by the Bible in those things. We're also guided by the Bible as to how the elders are chosen, and they're chosen by you. Now, I know I said that this sermon uh, was for everybody, and it is. The next four points are for absolutely everybody. But as Marty has said this morning, this first one is just for the voting members. I guess the reason for that is to just stop um, anybody bringing a crowd of people with them um, who have nothing to do with the congregation to try and swing a vote one way or another. So we have to draw a line somewhere. And so we have a list of the voting members as outlined by the code. But the biblical principle is there. The congregation picks its own elders. The second thing that the congregation is to do then is to respect the elders. 
Now, when I was young, I was always taught to respect my elders, to have respect for those who are older, who have a lot of experience and life behind them. And that's probably a good principle, but it's not what the Bible is talking about here. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 5, which we read. Now, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Now, actually, the word respect there, it's a little bit tricky. It literally means to know or to remember. So, we're to, we're to know our elders. We're to acknowledge that they are the elders. We're to acknowledge that there are elders, to recognize that that is the structure of our church. And so, as we remember and acknowledge those things, the office of, mem- of eldership, then we begin to have an appreciation of it and probably a respect for it. And maybe Paul isn't saying anything terribly profound here to to know, to acknowledge that there are elders in among us who work hard, who are over us in the Lord, who admonish and guide us. But I actually think this is pretty important because we have a tendency not to do it for two reasons. Firstly, we're prone, pure and simple, just to forget to make church the place where we go on a Sunday or a place where it's all about us. We come to meet with God and to worship Him and to hear from Him. And all those things, of course, are crucial. But if it stops there, then we do have a problem because we're a body. As we join together to meet with God and to worship Him, we do so as a group of people. We don't do it as individuals. We do it as the body of Christ. We're called to love and care for each other. And we have a task of going and making disciples. And the way that God chooses to do this, amazingly, is through the church. And the way he organizes the church is through elders. I hope you've seen that over the past few weeks. It's not just something that Presbyterians do because we're Presbyterians and we like the code. It's from the Bible. And it is, as one book title puts it, it's how Jesus runs the church. It's that important for us to know and to recognize and to remember and to respect the office of elders. But the other reason why we're prone to forget this is because we don't really like being admonished, do we? Do you see that bit at the end of the verse there? That the elders are there, they're over us in the Lord, and they admonish us. Now, this often falls to the teaching elder, to the minister. And if the minister is preaching faithfully from the Bible, they will say things from the Bible that cut, that hurt us, that maybe even offend us, that challenge us, that points out sin in our lives that we need to deal with. But our culture doesn't like that. We're suspicious of authority. We're individualistic, to put it mildly. We think we can do what we want. And we think to ourselves, well, who is he or who is she as an elder to speak to me in that way? But Paul says, no, we're not to have that kind of attitude. We're to respect and acknowledge those who are over us in the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that the elders are perfect. It certainly doesn't mean that they will always get it right. It doesn't mean that they become your Lord because only Jesus is that. But when the elders are serving faithfully, when we see that what they're doing is in obedience to Scripture, and if we know that this is the way that Jesus runs the church, then it might just make us think twice about resisting the role of elders. And in fact, thirdly, we're called to esteem our elders and to love them. In the very next verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. 
live in peace with each other. We are to esteem our elders, to hold them in the highest regard. Now, that doesn't mean they're to be worshipped. It doesn't mean that they're to sit in special seats or to be bowed to on the way into church or anything silly like that. But we are to hold them in a high regard. And what I think that means is that we're not just to know and recognize and respect their office, but we're to think of it as something which is very important. I'll give you an example, a silly example. I like watching the snooker. Justine hates it, but I like it. And Ronnie O'Sullivan is probably the greatest snooker player who ever lived. I admire him for that. I respect him. I acknowledge him as the greatest snooker player around. But is what he does important? Knocking a few balls around a table, a silly game where you try to get more points than your, than your opponent, is that important? I don't think so. Now, he probably does, but I don't. It doesn't affect my life whether he wins or not. It's just a silly game. But with elders, it's not meant to be like that. It's not just that we recognize who they are and respect them for it and then not care about it. Nowhere to respect them and think of the role as important to all of us, to hold them in a high regard. That's one of the reasons why we have taken so much time over the past few Sundays to think about what the role is, to get a grasp of how important it is and what the qualifications are. These are people, men and women, who are going to be leaders in shepherding God's people, in bringing new people into the fold, making new disciples, leading us through all kinds of situations as a church family. Recognize the office, respect it, but also esteem it very highly. But do you notice how we're meant to do that? Paul says, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. We're to love our elders. Now, of course, as a church, we're meant to be loving one another anyway, aren't we? But the way we're told to hold our elders in high esteem is to love them. One commentator has said this about loving elders. Hold them in your hearts. See them as God's gifts to you. Love them dearly. Hold them up in prayer. Listen carefully to their teaching and value their labor. So when we say that we're to esteem our elders, it's not to bow down to them or to think that they have a higher place in the church than us. They don't. They're not better Christians than the rest of us. But we do love them. Pray for them. There's nothing greater that you could do for them. If you do nothing else about the eldership, pray for your elders. They have a tough job. As they said about God's work, Satan moves against them. So pray for them and support them, value their work. When they decide on a new initiative or, or a new way of doing things, support them. Support them by attending, support them with encouraging words, and again, support them in prayer. Esteem them highly. Then fourthly, we are to obey them joyfully. We didn't read from Hebrews 13 today, but here's how the author of Hebrews puts it. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, perhaps this is the point when some of you think, oh dear, do I really have to do everything they say? If an elder tells me to jump, do I really have to ask, hi, hi? I don't think that's what is meant here when it says obey your leaders and submit to their authority, though. 
What does it mean? Well, I think it's probably a hint that sometimes elders are going to make decisions that not all of us agree with. That's just a fact of life. That's part and parcel of church life. It's our job to submit to them, to acknowledge that they are our leaders. Sometimes we just have to go with it. I'll give you an example again. If I said to my daughter, Sarah, Sarah, eat this cone of mint chocolate chip ice cream, I'm pretty sure she would do it. I'm pretty sure she would obey, but she's not doing it because she wants to submit to me. She's doing it because it's her favorite flavor of ice cream and she wants to eat it. But if I ask her to tidy her room or tidy up a mess she's made, well, she probably doesn't really want to do that. She would prefer if somebody else would do it for her. But she normally will submit and she'll do it anyway. So the test of obedience and submission, it's not when you agree with the elders about something, but the test comes when you have a difference of opinion. So Hebrews 13, 17 is effectively saying, look, there will be times when you disagree with your elders. Submit to them, follow them. They are there as leaders, as a gift to the church. And again, look, this doesn't mean that elders will always get it right, but generally speaking, it is good to submit to the elders. If we look at the, at the rest of Hebrews 13, look at what it says. It says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. But listen to this. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do you see that? It's, it's for the congregation, it's for your advantage to obey the elders. Again, to be clear, listen, they're not perfect. They won't always get it right. There is a time for discussion. There's a time for persuasion about alternatives. There is a time for brainstorming other ideas. There's a time for talking about the pros and cons of different ideas. There's a time to be creative in our thinking and to come up with alternatives. But ultimately, in various decisions, the time comes when a decision just has to be made. Leaders must lead. And if we as a congregation are constantly resisting the elders and making their leadership difficult, then it's just bad for everybody. It's bad for all of us. So when the elders haven't made the best decision, and sorry to break it to you, but that might happen. Unity in the church is more important than always making the right decision. We're to obey our elders joyfully. And then finally, and this one may scare the elders in the room a little bit, we're to follow their example. Again, from Hebrews 13, this time, verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We're to imitate our elders. Now, you might look at your elders sometimes and think, and I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but you may look at them sometimes and think, I don't want to imitate those people. And believe me, I'm sure there are a lot of elders sitting here this morning thinking, I hope no one thinks they should imitate me. And of course, no elder is perfect. We wouldn't want to imitate all that they do or all their actions, but actually that's okay because the Bible doesn't ask us to do that. Do you see what it does ask us to do? It asks us to imitate their faith. Imitate what is good. Imitate their love for God. Imitate their acts of faith. Imitate their letting the word of God dwell richly in their hearts. As Paul put it to the Corinthians, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. 
Paul doesn't say, do everything I do, because Paul knows that he's a sinner. In fact, he says elsewhere that of all the sinners, he is the worst. But as he imitates Christ, as he follows Jesus, as he displays the fruit of the Spirit in his life, then the Corinthians are to do likewise. And if we take this election of elders seriously, if we carefully consider who we nominate, thinking about what the role is, about what all the qualifications are, then we will end up with elders who are worth imitating, whose faith is worth imitating. Of course they'll sin. They won't be perfect elders. But as they grow and work out their salvation, as they grow in godliness to become more like Christ, their faith will be well worth imitating. This elders' election is not just about the elders, because there would be no need for elders if it weren't for the congregation. And we all have a role to play, picking elders, respecting them, esteeming their work, obeying them, and imitating their faith. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we would pray above all that this election of elders which is upcoming would be completely under your control. Lord, we place it into your hands and ask that your will would be done. Lord, we ask that you would help us all to play our part. May your will be done as names are put forward, as they're pondered and as they're then voted upon. And Lord, may we all have an appreciation for how you run the church, how you build your kingdom and the role that we all play in that. May we be a congregation led by good elders, and may as a result of that, may we all be faithful servants of our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.